Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. How many know not every church can say that? We're in a time of apostasy and falling away, but I'm glad the Lord still comes to visit us in his presence. And how many can testify it makes a difference, a big, big difference, right? Let's stand together for the reading of the word of God and the God of the word. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll drop down to verse 12. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says these words, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation or lifestyle in the, in the world and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end, as also ye have acknowledged us in part that we are in or that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence, I was minded to come unto you before, that ye might have a second benefit, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come against, or excuse me, come again out of Macedonia unto you. Now, I don't want you to just think this is frivolous information right here because we're going to come back to it because it's going to mean something in a minute okay so he said uh, to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea when I therefore was thus minded did I use lightness question mark or the things that I purpose do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him, meaning Christ, was yea or yes. Notice verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and he hath anointed us, is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Praise the Lord. Now turn back to verse 20. For all the promises of God in Christ are yes. That's what yea means, yes. And in him, amen. I just want to speak for a few minutes tonight on the best yes. 
the best yes. Tell your neighbor, God has a yes for you. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your presence that we felt already in this place. Thank you for uh, the songs that's been sung, the words that's been spoken. Lord, now, uh, just uh, as you've laid on my heart, I pray that I'll be able to share adequately. And we'll thank and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, all God's people say amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The best, yes. <clears throat> well, you got time for a few minutes of preaching? <laughs> Paul's re relationship with the Corinthian church was a bit complicated, to say the least. Almost immediately after he originally arrived in Corinth, he was met with strong opposition with almost what we would call abusive treatment. Evidently, I can't blame him, but he was ready to shake the dust off of his feet and move on because an angel came to him and basically said, Paul, don't panic. I have many people in this city. That's the angel's way of saying don't run, right? So it looks like Paul stuck it out in Corinth, proclaiming the gospel and actually planting a church. We believe he was there for about a year and a half. It's evident that the Corinthian church was what I consider a high-maintenance church, right? It was deeply divided with factions developing over which Bible preacher and Bible teacher they liked the best. Sadly, there was sexual perversion that was tolerated in the church at Corinth and even celebrated by some. It seems that some were even enjoying the communion a little too much. Hello. Getting a little tipsy. If not outright drunk on the communion wine. Hello. And, and to think the spiritual gifts were in operation in the church of Corinth. But they were being abused. all that, then you had the slandering of Paul. So the Corinthians were carnal with a capital C. After writing to, to them 1 Corinthians, Paul visits them on his way to Macedonia, Macedonia, but that visit didn't go too good. And after leaving, he wrote them a severe, tear-stained letter. 
We can gradually see how that played out if you read 2 Corinthians. So for us to understand this first chapter of 2 Corinthians, it's important for us to know that there's all this mess going on between Paul and the parishioners at Corinth. There's tension, there's conflict, and some in the church are seeing this relational mess as a perfect opportunity to slander and undermine Paul's validity as an apostle. And they want to do that because they want to promote themselves. Hello. And so their slander campaign against Paul has just been handed a gift. Because Paul had expressed his intentions to come back to Corinth for an extended stay after his trip to Macedonia, but then he doesn't return. And those who wanted to undermine Paul, oh, you know what they did. They started the whisper campaign. Hello. So that makes Paul unreliable. Paul is fickle. We can't trust what he says. He says one thing and he does another. Why, Paul is a fraud. Can you still hear me in the back? I'm a loud whisperer. So this Corinthian whisper campaign found fuel for its fire when Paul wasn't able to come and see them as he, had as he had originally planned. Now, before we look at Paul's defense, there's an important lesson we can learn from this group in the church at Corinth that was trying to hurt Paul's reputation. You know, I heard a saying, it's been a little while ago, and I quote, it says, people are like paintings. We should always try to put them in their best light. Think about that for a minute. People are like paintings. We should always try to put them in their best light. Whether it's one person, we don't know if it's a group of people that were slandering Paul. What we know is that they are intentionally putting Paul in the worst light possible, right? Exaggerating things that make Paul look bad, ignoring the things that make Paul look good. Reading into Paul's motives, putting words into Paul's mouth, twisting the facts to say Paul isn't someone to trust, and they're standing in the shadows shooting arrows at Paul's reputation. It reminds me of Psalm 11, verse 2. It says, The wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. How many have found out that it's pretty easy to destroy a person's reputation? Well, I guess you've never been there. 
How many know it doesn't take a lot of work to pull people down? I said it doesn't take a lot of work to pull, pull somebody down. You know, a rumor dropped here, an implication here, an insinuation dropped there, a whisper of gossip shared in the name of love and concern and a prayer request. You might as well smile. You know it's true. Truth is, it's easier to pull people down than it is to lift them up. And it can all be done in the shadows. Cowards can do it without having to face the ones they're trying to destroy. Now, here's the lesson for us tonight before we move on. Let's not be that person. That's it. Let's not hang out with the Corinthian Whisper Club. Because the members of the Whisper Club don't build up the kingdom of God. They tear it down because of their own selfish agenda. Now, I'm not saying that as leaders, I'm sure Paul received honest criticism. How many know we need that? But even when honest criticism is called for, we do it in the light of love and in the light of grace. Don't be the person that stands in the shadows and shoots arrows. Because Paul goes on to change history to the glory of God. Probably more than any other human being other than Christ himself. So these slanderers and their accusations ended up in the garbage heap of history. Right? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not going to be a part of that club. All right. So, as we look into this chapter, chapter 2, we see more of Paul's reasons for not being able to make his second visit to Corinth. But it's interesting. It's interesting. And I want us to look at this because Paul doesn't start his defense with explanations and justifications. Where Paul begins his defense might, might surprise you a little. He begins by rejoicing. Right? He begins by rejoicing and highlighting the fact that he has a clear conscience and integrity of character. Several other times Paul mentions this rejoicing, and it's actually the Greek word he uses is boasts. He boasts. Now, if we would be able to come to Paul and say, psst, Paul, you're not going to help the situation by boasting. It's not boasting like we boast. I'm talking about bragging and arrogance. Because boasting, mostly when Paul uses that word, what he is doing is rejoicing in the grace of God. Because nobody knew like Paul knew what he used to be. He said, to tell you the truth, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Hmm? That doesn't sound like somebody that's arrogant, right? And, but Paul boasts in the Lord. He boasts in the cross. And here, in the integrity which God has worked in his life and in his ministry. 
Paul says that his conscience is clear before God because he has not relied on worldly wisdom, but on God's amazing grace. Praise God. And so Paul is a man of integrity, and his ministry is sincere. He, said, he used the word sincere, and that word sincere in Greek simply means without wax. In those days, dishonest sculptors would hide the flaws and the cracks in their, uh, in their carvings by filling the, the cracks in their carvings with wax. The wax would make the statue or carving look perfect to the eye, but once they sell it, after time, the wax begins to melt and reveal the cracks and the imperfections. And Paul says, no, 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 you've seen my life and you've heard my message. It's sincere. It's without wax. I have conducted myself with integrity by the grace of God. And my opponents are trying to read into my words and actions, meanings that aren't there. And they are trying to read into my change of plans, some motives that aren't there. And I hope you understand me truthfully based on the simple integrity and sincerity. So don't read into my words. Read my words. Don't read into my motive some dark agenda. Know that my motive is, not, is, is that on the day of Christ, I would be able to boast in God and in you just as you are able to boast in what God has done through me in your ministry, all for the glory of Christ. And so Paul confesses that it, it was in his plan to visit them again. Now here's where the shadow shooters got it wrong. They're accusing Paul of promising that he would come back and spend a lot of time with them, but then breaking the promise. But, but they are suppressing some information that doesn't fit their narrative. Hmm, sounds a little bit like our media outlets today. Oh, come on, it's okay to say amen. But an honest assessment would see that when Paul shares his plans, he uses phrases in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 that read like this, it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you. Now, does that sound like a promise? No. It may be. Going down to verse 7. I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permits. Hello. Paul knew plans change. He knew that God's will may unfold differently than what he wanted or expected. Paul asks rhetorically, does that make me fickle? Does that make me an untrustworthy person who talks out of both sides of my mouth? And that's why he says yay and nay all the time through the text. We read it, yes and no and no and yes. Then Paul begins to transition. Notice, he begins to transition this conversation from his reputation to God's reputation. Did you get that? Now, if you fell asleep, you missed it. He begins to transition the conversation from his trustworthiness to God's trustworthiness. 2 Corinthians 1.18, But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay, which was yes and no, yes and no, no and yes, wishy-washy, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us. Notice, was not yea or nay, but in him was yea, 
For all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Paul says, temporal plans change. We may want to go through a door, but God says no. We may hope for a certain outcome, and God says no. We may lift up a fervent time of prayer uh, about a certain topic, and God says no. Life isn't always going to go the way we want it to go. Our plans, no matter how carefully we make them, won't always work out the way we plan. Why? Because life is unpredictable. And how many know sometimes God's will is too? Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. But you know what isn't? Beyond tracing out, you know what always gets a yes? Paul says every single promise God has made, they are yes in Christ. Oh, somebody ought to rejoice in that little bit of information. Christ unlocked the yes to all the promises of God when he came to give his life in our place. And when Christ prayed, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me, do you realize God answered no so that God's promises to us would be yes? God promises to save us. Yes in Christ. God's promise to adopt us as sons and daughters is yes in Christ. Praise God. God's promise to provide for us is yes in Christ, even in the high point of inflation. God's promise to protect us is yes in Christ. God's promise to work all things to the good for those who are in Christ. Somebody said it's yes in Christ. God's promise to give us the kingdom, yes in Christ. God's promise that death would not be the end, but that we would have an eternal home in heaven, yes in Christ. Now there's two chief mistakes I want us to see that we can make when we read all the promises of God, and they're equally dangerous. These two mistakes are equally dangerous. The first mistake is we assume that every promise can be lifted from the pages of Scripture and applied directly to our lives. Not so. Now, the other mistake is to believe that nearly all the promises came and went in the ancient world, and that the only one that's meant for us today is the promise of eternal life. How many know neither approach is biblical, right? Because Paul says that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So when every story in the Old Testament points forward to the coming of the Son of God, and every word in the New Testament is a response to his life and his work, we should not be surprised to find that every promise is indeed yes in Christ. Paul says the promises of God are yes and amen. The promises of God are not yes and then no. They are not I don't know or maybe so. The promises of God are simply. Somebody shouted just a little bit louder. Oh, that's a lot better. That felt a little passionate. 
the promises of God. So can he save our lost loved ones? Hmm. Can he heal us? Can he direct us when we need direction? Can he set us free from addictions? Oh, can he supply our every need, church? Why? Because the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Somebody praise him right there. Praise God. And as if that wasn't enough, Paul says the promises of God are yes and, here's a little affirmation, amen. Somebody shout amen. Amen. What's amen mean? So be it. Right? It expresses our confidence and faith that God will never renege on his promise. His yes and, and then our amen resound to God's great glory as being the ultimate promise keeper. And next, to assure us of the vast eternal joys of an eternity uh, promised to us in God's presence, Paul informs us in verse 22 that God has given us a down payment. That's what it means there in verse 22 when it says earnest. He's given us a down payment in the form of the Holy Spirit. Oh, aren't you glad you, you know who the Holy Spirit is? I said, are you Pentecostal here tonight? Praise God. Who's the Holy Spirit, Pastor? It's the presence of God that dwells in the believer. And God has given us that Holy Spirit. And God's promises don't exempt us from suffering. Rather, they prepare us for suffering. And God's promises are big enough that even if everything else in our life is taken away, even if life itself is taken from us, His promises are so great that our hearts can still rejoice in those eternal promises. They come to us without an expiration date. Hallelujah. In fact, the darker things get, the brighter the promises of God shine. Listen, oh, hallelujah. Let's recap. Can he save us? Can he heal us? Can he deliver us? Can he provide for us? Can he protect us? You better believe he can because all the promises of God are yes. Not long ago, a researcher named Andrew Newberg, who was a specialist in neurology, he wrote an article by the title, and I quote, the most dangerous word in the world. And he wrote about the power that the word no can have over our minds. He co-authored the article, and he and his co-author wrote this, and I quote, said, if I were to put you into an MRI scanner and flash the word no, you would see a sudden release of 
dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters. And he goes on to write that these chemicals immediately interrupt the normal functioning of your brain. And they impair logic. They impair reason. And even language processing. And communication. The article goes on to say that just from exposure to negativity, and in particular the word no, we as human beings can face numerous points of loss. For example, loss of sleep, loss of appetite, loss of satisfaction and fulfillment. And he balances that because we all have to learn how to accept a no, right? We've all been told no before, and we have to learn how to accept that, and we all have to learn how to say no at times, right? But he, but he says this. He says, we cannot live on a steady diet of no because it kills the human spirit. Because the fact is, we were made for yes. We want to hear it, and we want to say it, right? Come on, folks. When you love somebody, you don't want to have to tell them no, right? You like to be able to say yes. Child comes to a parent and asks, can I go here or there? Can I have permission to, can I have this thing that I've seen over in the toy aisle? Right? How many parents would be honest to say, you'd love to be able to say yes? Right? But we do have to say no at times, don't get me wrong. But would I be wrong in saying we love to say yes? Right? On the other hand, we know what it's like to have somebody who always carries a no, right? Huh? <clears throat> you ever had your kids pit mom and dad against each other? Hmm? Well, you need to go ask your daddy. No, you need to go ask your mama. I ain't going to go ask her. I'm not always going to, I'm not going to ask him because he always says no. See? After a while, we begin to know who is going to say no, right? Will you help me? No. Can we talk? No. Will you share a burden with? No. How many know that the no has a way of wounding us? Hmm? And what it does when it all gets boiled down <clears throat> is that no causes us to wonder where the love is. So now here's the question. Do you think of God as having a yes in his heart for you or a no in his heart for you? Well, the Apostle Paul answers that question in our text and he says Christ is God's yes to all of God's children. How many promises has God made? 
I'm not going to count them, but I can say a bunch, right? By one count, and Brother Schaefer mentioned in his class this morning, somebody counted one over one time over 8,000 promises in Scripture. And Paul doesn't say that a lot of them are yea or that many of them are yea or even most of them are. No, he says every one of them is yes in Jesus Christ. God has a yes in his heart for his children. I don't know what your life has been like up until this point. I don't know what you've been used to hearing. Mom may have said no. Dad may have said no a lot of times. Your spouse may have said no. Your prodigal children may say no. Hmm? Your boss may say no. The IRS will probably say no. The dog and your cat might say no. But yet, I want you to leave tonight knowing all the promises of God are yes. Can he save me? Can he forgive me? Can he give me a new start? Can God give me strength in my weakness? Can God give me guidance in confusing times? Can he give me wisdom when I need it? Can God give me the ability to forgive a person and overcome my bitterness and resentment? Can God be with me every day of my life until I die? Can God, after I die, resurrect me and take me to a place called heaven? I want to tell somebody, yes, yes, yes. Why? Because we serve a God who nothing is impossible with. Read this text. Meditate on it. Treasure it. Immerse yourself in it. Because God has a yes for you. Praise God. Raise your hands and praise him. Hallelujah. One commentator said, in fact... Yes, just might be God's favorite word. And we can live in confidence. That's what Paul goes on to talk about. You can live in confidence of that. Because he's with you. Because he's for you. And he delights in saying yes to his children. That's why Paul could say, if God be for us, who could be against us? No matter who says no, God still says yes. I'm for you. Many times, all too often are... We allow difficult circumstances and the words of skeptics and the whispers to, to color our view of God, right? And when that happens, we begin to see God as a grim, hard-to-please uh, taskmaster who is predisposed to say no. But Paul says we need to understand that's not an accurate picture of God. On the contrary, he's, he's a loving father. Hello. I said he is a loving father. I said he is a loving father. You're saying, why do you keep saying that? You're insulting our intelligence. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. I'm trying to impact your intelligence. I'm trying to influence your intelligence. He is a kind and generous and loving God who loves to say yes, and he offers us thousands of promises to prove it. 
Scripture's full of promises from God that give us comfort, that gives us joy, that gives us hope. God's promises are still relevant to us as believers, perhaps your own life. There's been moments where you've experienced God's promises coming to pass. Has God ever answered a prayer for somebody? Go ahead, raise your hand. Praise God. Perhaps in your own life. This text will renew your assurance that God is faithful. I believe God is faithful to keep his promises. It conveys that Christ is the yes and the amen of all. Oh, praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost. Is that all right? Huh? Would it be all right if the Holy Spirit ministered to somebody here tonight? Maybe you're facing disappointment in your life right now. Something isn't going the way you'd hoped. Plans got changed. Doors you thought would open is closed. Uh, listen, I want to tell somebody, believe the promise of God. Claim the promise of God. Stand on the promise of God. Jesus said in Revelation 1.14, He is the Amen. He is the faithful and true witness. Uh, that means He is the Amen, and Amen means so be it, but it also means it's already done. I like that definition. Somebody say, it's already done. The promises of God are already done. Praise God. And the problem God's people often have with entering the promises of God is that while God is saying yes, and then it's already done, we're saying, no, I don't think it can be done. While God is saying yes, it's already done, we're saying, no, I'm not going to do it. God is looking for someone. He said yes through Jesus. And how many knows he's looking for somebody to say yes to him? As we stand together, God is looking for someone who will say, yes, I'll go. Yes, I'll do what you want me to do. Yes, God, you know what, in Ezekiel, is it uh, 22 and along about verse 30, it says, uh, I sought for a man among them, but I found none. How many know God's still looking? Would that be accurate to say? God's still looking. God's looking for someone like Abraham to say, Lord, here am I. When he needs someone to make a sacrifice, God's looking for someone like Moses to say, Lord, here am I. When he needs someone to represent him before the kings. God's looking for someone like Samuel to say, Lord, here I am. When he needs someone to minister in the church. Listen, God's looking for someone like Isaiah to say, Lord, here I am. When, when he needs someone to proclaim the gospel to hearts. Listen, God's looking for some people to say yes. And the Lord said, was it in Luke chapter 2? He said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, but do not the things that I say? If he's Lord, how many know you can't tell him no? You can't say no, Lord, because he's not your Lord if you say no. Right? 
But rather, let's say, I trust you. Somebody raise your hand.